I look around and see my wonderful life almost perfect from the outside in picture frames. I see my beautiful wife always smiling, but on the inside I can hear her saying, Lead me with strong hands, stand up when I can, don't leave me hungry for love, chasing dreams, but what about us, show me you're willing to fight that I'm still the love of your life. I know we call this our home, but I still feel alone. I see their faces, look in their innocent eyes, they're just children. From the outside, I'm working hard. I tell myself they'll be fine, they're independent. But on the inside, I can hear them saying, Lead me with strong hands. Stand up when I can. Don't leave me. Hungry for love, chasing dreams. But what about us? Show me you're willing to fight that I'm still the love of your life. I know we call this our home, but I still feel alone. So, Father, give me the strength to be everything I'm called to be. Oh, Father, show me the way to lead them. Won't you lead me to lead them with strong hands? to stand up when they can don't want to leave them hungry for love chasing things that I could give up I'll show them I'm willing to fight and give them the best of my life so we can call this our home Lead me, cause I can't do this alone. Father, lead me, cause I can't do this alone. Oh. Okay, well, we're headed to Joshua chapter 24 this morning, and it is great again to have you out on this Father's Day. Here in June, we've been in a series called Spirit-Filled Soldiers. And so far, we have looked at Gideon, 
who lived with a great deal of doubt in his life. And we've looked at Samson, who struggled with his carnal nature for his entire life. And yet we found that God's Spirit empowered and used both of those men. Today we're going to look at Joshua. And so we're over in Joshua chapter 24, final chapter of the book. If you're physically able, would you stand? And we'll start reading there in Joshua 24 in verse number 8. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose in word against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites and all the otherites. It's not in there, but just thought I'd throw that in. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you bless now this morning as we look in your word, as we do our best to encourage and enable and offer boldness and courage to the fathers in this room. We know the message is for all of us. And yet, specifically to, for fathers today on this Father's Day, I pray that you would work, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are a lot of things that we could look at in the life of Joshua this morning. Joshua's life spanned a great deal of Scripture. In fact, he lived to be 110 years old, and so he had a lot of significant things happen in his life. We could look at his early years of ministry as he served Moses for 40 years through the wilderness wanderings. We could look at God's call for him to have courage when Moses died and the leadership torch was passed on to him. We could look at the battle of Jericho or his leadership in the trial of Achan's sin when the entire nation was in turmoil and they lost the battle of Ai. We could look at the day he called for the sun to stand still. And it actually stood still. Instead, we're going to deal with this passage in his later years as he got close, close to the end of his life. Have you ever had a lift while you were trying to talk in public? How many of you love public speaking? It's just a great thing, isn't it? Well, Joshua's nearing the end of his life, and he left to the fathers of Israel a formula for keeping God's blessings upon their families as well as upon the nation. 
And I'd like to go through the passage that we just read and look at that formula this morning and how it's laid out as Joshua gave it to these people at the end of his life. We start by speaking of relying on God's past successes. Relying on God's past successes. And if you look back in the Scripture, you see some extraordinary things. As from the beginning of our reading, look at verse number 8. The end of the verse, he says, I destroyed them from before you. That's God speaking. Verse number 9, he says, so I delivered you out of his hand. Verse 11, the end of the verse, I delivered them into your hand. Verse 12, I sent the hornet before you. And it's the end of the verse, but not with thy sword nor with thy bow. This is God's past success. Now Israel tried to buy into it and to begin to think that maybe they had something to do with it, but it actually was God's track record that they were living on. Now that's the best track record we could ever live on. Somebody quickly, would you tell me what, what's your favorite restaurant? Anybody have one? Favorite restaurant? I don't know this restaurant, but it sounds good. She likes Texas Roadhouse. He, he likes Outback, but it's because he works there, obviously. Look, he has the shirt. Ling and Louie's. Okay. So, now, here, here's the question that I have for you on your favorite restaurant. Just go ahead and think about this in your mind. Why is it your favorite restaurant? Think about why it's your favorite restaurant, right? It's probably not because the last time you went there, there was a fly in your food. Right? Most likely, it's not because you went there and your pork was still pink in the middle. Right? It's probably not you went there and there was a big chunk of gristle in your chicken. Yeah, that's kind of a turn off. It's because that restaurant has been successful in the past at making your taste buds feel good. And your stomach feel good. And they've entertained you and given you the right kind of food. And they have a track record with you. And that's why you go back. Maybe it's a sports team that you follow. Maybe it's the medical center that you choose when you have to go to the doctor. Maybe it's the dentist that you go to. Whatever it is professionally that you choose, you choose it what, for one of two reasons. One, because of the track record that they have, the reputation that they have in your life. The other one is because you have a coupon. Right? That's basically the only two reasons. You choose it because it's free or there's a coupon or because they have a good track record. Now, how many of you, kind of like me and some things, I would rather pay just a little more on some things if I know that I'm going to get good work or if they're going to take good care of my body or my teeth or whatever it is, I'm going there. Instead of going to an unknown, instead of going with something that I've never heard of before that has no reputation, they have no website, they have no ratings anywhere, I'd rather go where I have some reputation, some track record. Now, here's the caution Joshua is giving to the people. Hey, everybody in Israel, God's track record is perfect. He's never missed. Not one time, ever. He is batting a thousand percent. When I was 10 or 12 years old, maybe 12 years old, my favorite baseball player on the earth was a guy named George Brett. 
Are you guys ever heard of him? Kansas City Royals, he's in the Hall of Fame, over 3,000 hits. He batted left-handed, and he'd get, he'd get that leg way, way back there. I'm right-handed, so I can't do his stance. But he'd, he'd get way back there, and just every time he swung, you thought he was going to hit it. And uh, one year, I was probably 12 years old in the summer, he was going for 400. Right? He, was, he was trying to break Ted Williams' batting average record. And he got down to the last three days of the season, and he was still batting over 400. And man, the whole city was excited. And this is in the newspaper every day, and the radio's talking every hit. They're bringing it in. All right? They didn't have ESPN for live look-ins back then. And every time he'd get up, and you know, the last two games of the season, there were pitchers who walked him on purpose. And everybody who followed the Kansas City Royals was out for blood. They were going to get these pitchers. Like, he's trying to break the record, and you're walking him on purpose instead of giving him at-bats. One guy threw and hit him, so he'd have to go to first base. Hey, come on. We're good. He ended the season, I think, 393. Seven points shy of Ted Williams. Somewhere in there. And, boy, that's the highest anybody's been since in the 1940s. And yet... Did you know that six out of every ten times that he went up, he got out? Isn't that crazy? We regard that as one of the greatest seasons a baseball player's ever had, and yet six out of every ten times he went up to the plate, he got out. He still struck out, I think, over 200 times in the season. Isn't that crazy? And yet we follow that. Boy, go, George. We're going to win. This is going to be great. God's batting average, 1,000%. He's never struck out once. In fact, he's never struck. You baseball people, there's no baseball people in here. God's never had a strike called on him. Not once. He's never whiffed. He's never missed the pitch inside, outside, up or down. He is totally, completely the best. And yet, sometimes we don't rely on his track record the way that we should. And so God is reminding his people through Joshua of his goodness and his protection in their lives. If God did it before, he can do it again. You know, it's important for fathers to regularly rehearse the evidence of God's providence in their lives. Remember that time that God intervened for our family. You remember that time that God provided for our family? You remember that time that God protected our family? Boy, we have stories that we tell our kids of, of when we were on a trip and uh, the car all of a sudden did a 180 on the freeway and slid all the way around and came about that far from you know, one of those concrete barriers. And uh, we tell God about times when, or we don't tell God, we know, God knows. We tell our kids about times when God provided exactly what was needed when it came to our finances, or when it came to resources, or when it came to God's will. Now, why is it important that fathers do that? Because, Dad, if you don't have experiences in your relationship with God that you pass on to your kids, the chances of them having any relationship with God goes down significantly. Dad, if you don't have a stable relationship with God, you're not going to be able to testify of personal victories that God's given you. And it's fine to 
talk about what God did for people in His Word. That's, that's a great thing to do. But we should also have personal stories of God's greatness in our lives. That's where faith begins to grow into the next generation. I want you to look at what Moses had just told this people months before this. Look back at Deuteronomy, months and years before this actually, Deuteronomy chapter 6, right before Joshua took the leadership reins. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Say, what's a dad's responsibility when it comes to talking about who God is and talking about what God's done? Well, dads definitely have a responsibility. Look at Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 6. It says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So we have to internalize the word of God. We have to make it real for ourselves. Now look at the next verse. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So God said, listen, my word, my truth, my track record, I want you to talk about it all the time. I want you to confess it to your children. I want you to lift it up as a praise to who I am. So we're relying on God's past successes. Go back now to Joshua 24, and I want you to see the second part of the message this morning. And that's this, recognizing that life is a stewardship. Recognizing that life is a stewardship. Look at Joshua 24 again at verse number 13. It's such a powerful verse. Look what God's Word says through Joshua. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which he planted not, so do ye eat. God wanted his people to remember that they didn't have anything without him. It all belonged to him, and they were just managers of God's stuff. And fathers that walk with God should constantly remind those around them that all we have is a gift. We are simply overseers of the resources of a sovereign God. You say, well, that's not me. I'm a self-made man. Right? I only eat of the vineyard that I planted. I only eat from the olive yard that I planted. I only bear fruit from the land that I planted. Exactly right. I'm with you all the way. Did you make your lungs, right, so you can breathe. You made your own lungs. Did you make your own heart so it can beat in your chest without you even knowing? I'm sure you made your hands and your feet as well, right? You are definitely a self-made man. You know, we're the furthest thing from self-made men. We are the furthest thing from any type of creature that could become our own God Humanism is absurd because we make ourselves into a God. That's what God tells us here. Why in the world would we begin to worship and serve the things God has given to us? It's a stewardship. Everything we have is a stewardship. 
We often teach kids to take care of their own stuff or mom and dad's stuff. We teach them how to take care of their first car or to take care of their bicycle or to take care of their gerbil or their rabbit or their goldfish, right? And how many of you parents understand that goldfish sometimes die, right? And it's, it's just a tr- horrific event there in the home. And uh, sometimes we lose the pets that, that are so precious to us. And uh, I want you parents, with there's no kids in here really, I want you to confess how many of you have ever replaced little Sparky the goldfish in the bowl without your kids knowing, right? Yeah, I knew there'd be some. Like, and your kids, I just saw that. Some of you just, your kids know now that old Sparky was, he's not the real goldfish that you, they brought home. There's a stewardship involved in this. And we teach kids this responsibility of taking care of other people's stuff, right? And uh, we just try to teach our boys now, they're both old enough to drive. And if you do see Dawson behind the wheel, especially by himself, please be very careful. Yeah, please watch out. Okay, He's back in the sound booth today. But you know, we teach them when you borrow somebody else's vehicle, make sure you put more gas in it than it had when you took it. Right? Make sure you pick up the garbage in it. Now, if you got it dirty, wash the car. If you scratch the vehicle, make sure you tell the person. Right? If you had any problem, make sure you let them know. Why? Because it doesn't belong to you. And we willingly teach our children things about those types of responsibilities, and yet sometimes we fail to teach them the stewardship of life itself. That your life is only here because there's an eternal God. That you only have the opportunity to work and to live and to enjoy your life because there's a God. And when I talk about stewardship to God, I'm not talking about the walls and the furniture here at a church building. We should certainly be good stewards of that. But I'm talking about everything being God's. That's the right worldview. That's the view that we need to teach to our children is that everything we have, everything we are, everything we know belongs to God. And He has called us to be managers of His stuff. And that's what God's reminded them here in Joshua 24. He says, I have given you a land which you did not labor, cities which you did not build. Then we see in verse number 14, boy, this is a big one, removing dangers from the scene. Removing dangers from the scene. Now look at this in verse 14. He says, now therefore fear the Lord. And serve Him in sincerity and in truth. So don't just do this in name only. Don't just say you love God and then you never follow Him. Don't just say that you are a representative of God and then you never actually represent Him. And where does it start? Middle of verse 14. If you underline, goodness, underline this. He says, and put away the gods. Little g. Which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. Serve you the Lord. Put away the gods. Put away the gods. That's a big phrase here in the Scripture. Because there are some things in our lives that we have to put away if we're going to follow a righteous God. Now, there are a lot of dads, and there really are a lot of moms, who are detail-oriented, 
when it comes to keeping their families physically safe. Right? And I tell you what, things have changed since when I was a little kid, and we'd go on road trips in the station wagon, and man, we just lay down in the back, or we'd uh, we'd throw sleeping bags in there, and you know, do whatever we felt like doing. And now, boy, you'd be in big trouble if you did that. Not just with the law, but with mom. I mean, she's not going to allow it. the safety standards of 2015 have jumped, right? And if you don't have the little deals in your outlets. You're in big trouble. Right? If you don't have the deal that keeps the cupboard from opening, the child safety lock thing that two-year-olds can figure out anyway, it really work really well. Got to keep the kids safe. And, and so there are parents, and maybe dads, who are detail-oriented when it comes to keeping their families safe. And having the baby in the car seat and Making the teenagers, make sure the teenagers wear seat belts and help them check the safety on their vehicles. And, and we run beside the kids as they learn to ride their bikes. And we don't let them jump off the roof at the house most of the time. And, and important things like that. Trying to keep them safe. Trying to keep the, the broken limb count down as low as possible. And we should be mindful and we should be cautious about their physical safety. But you know, some Christian dads, and I say Christian according to the term of verse 14, where we're supposed to be Christian sincerely and truly. Some Christians' dads aren't as watchful when it comes to keeping their families spiritually safe as they are about keeping their families physically safe. I remember years and years ago, we took... Yeah, our kids, and we got to go down to Zion's National Park, down at uh, towards the bottom of Utah, down there. And we were walking through the park, and, and our kids were pretty little. I think Cody was maybe only eight or nine years old. And we would be walking on these ledges, and boy, every step, you're just afraid because it drops off sometimes hundreds of feet, and it stays. Stay back. Stay back from the wall. Stay back from the trail. And oh, they get over here. Oh, I'm going to look down here. And it's a parent's nightmare. Right? The kids, they're not worried about it. But the parents, ah, get away from there. Scoot back. I want you to walk all the way over here. You get all the way over by this side. Right? You can just hear parents on the trail. You're up ahead of you. They're behind you. You get back over there. Right? And it's sometimes it's mom, sometimes it's dad. And get away from them. But when it comes to spiritual danger, a lot of times we just let our kids do this. Just walk right on the line, walk right on the edge, and we don't even think anything about it. How many of you would guess that it might even be more important to keep your kids from spiritual danger than it is from physical danger? And yet, that one slips our minds. That one goes away from us at times. And it's easy to just let things go and allow the world to come right into our houses and right into our children's lives through their friendships and their music and their entertainment. And I know you dads, you'd never let a guy walk up in your yard and curse your little boy or your little girl, but let the television do it every night. Let entertainment come into your home and curse your kids. 
And it is the responsibility of every father to boldly take a stand for his family's spiritual security. I know some of you are gun owners. Probably many of you are gun owners. Uh, boy, if somebody comes into your house unannounced in the middle of the night, there, there could be big trouble. There could be a, a situation going on there. Why? Because you're going to protect your family. And you're going to stand up for those rights. And boy, we're gung-ho about that. But we ought to be just as gung-ho about protecting our families spiritually. We ought to be just as vigilant about watching out for where our families are spiritually. And I have to warn you up front that protecting your family spiritually isn't always appreciated by your family. Isn't that interesting? Protecting your own family spiritually, you think that they would line up and say, thanks, Dad, for watching out for us. But they don't. They roll their eyes. They grumble. They get bad attitudes because they don't want you to watch out for them spiritually. They want to do what they want to do. Show you a verse to prove it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a, parent, a parent's verse. This is a verse that every parent should know, moms or dads. <clears throat> Look at this. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 25. And see if this doesn't describe raising children. 2 Timothy 2.25. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. That's every teenager. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Our job as dads is to meekly instruct those in our own home who oppose themselves who oppose God's purpose in their own lives, who oppose the biblical worldview in their own lives. It's our job to protect our families in this way. And when you take the stand that, hey, we're going to be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night no matter what, some in the family might not like it. But it is the godly father's job to protect his family by having them in God's house. Not as a convenience that we do as we feel like, but as a design, purposeful habit that moves to the next generation. See, if you don't do church on purpose, your kids won't do church at all. If it's a convenience to you that every other Sunday or a few weeks a month we go to church if it works out, if there's no family, if there's no entertainment issue, if we don't have a concert to go to, we'll go. Then your kids grow up with a relationship that is much further from God than your own. And this is the whole issue Joshua was dealing with. Put away the gods. When you say, my son or my daughter is not going to be experimenting with sexual activity while he lives in this house. That's not going to be popular with the culture. It may not even be popular with your own kids. But it's your job, Dad, to provide the guardrails needed to keep on the path of God's purpose. And when you say, my daughter's not going to wear that skimpy outfit outside of this house, because I know how men think, and I know the danger I'm placing her in for the future, that likely won't be a very popular call with your daughter, and it might not even be a popular call with her mother. But it's your job. Nobody else is going to do it 
for you. Too many Christian dads in 2015 expect the pastorate church or the youth pastor or the Christian school or some other unknown force to establish the morals for their home. And I have to tell you, it is your God-given responsibility, sir. It's not anybody else's job. It's your job to put away the strange gods from your house. And when we stand and we say we aren't going to have ungodly filth in our house through our entertainment choices, our kids will be sure to bring up what other Christian kids are watching or listening to or experiencing. But you don't answer to God for other kids and you don't answer to God for other families. You answer to God for yours. And you will give an account of how well you've protected your family from the idolatry of this culture. And it's time that we had some dads rise up and say, I know it's not going to be popular, but we're going to put away the strange gods of this world. I'm here to protect you against influences that will ruin your lives. And it takes courage. It is not easy. But God will empower you to take the stand that you should. God's Spirit will fill you to be the soldier you need to be for this battle. God did it with Joshua and He'll do it with you. And so, removing dangers from the scene. That's a big job, isn't it? That's a huge job for a dad in so many ways. And yet, it's his job. He can't pass it off. He can't give it to anybody else to do. He's got to do it. There are some things that only you can do. Maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe it's at your house. Definitely in your life. There's some things only you can do. Only you can have a personal relationship with God for yourself. Only you can establish the right guardrails and priorities for your home. And so Joshua dealt with this in verse number 14. But then we get to this last verse, verse number 15. And Joshua in this verse throws out a catchphrase that would live in Israel and beyond for thousands of years, and you might even have it up on a wall somewhere. In verse 15, he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, he knew right up front as he said it that this is a task that is easier said than done. This is not a one-time statement. Well, 20 years ago I said that we'll serve the Lord, and boy, it still must be working. right? That's like the guy who told his wife on their wedding day that he loved her and he hasn't told her since. That's not working out very well for the relationship. Okay, There has to be a renewal of this relationship. He said, choose ye this day in the present tense whom ye will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is a father with a, war, uh, with a heart for God. Now, this is a constant daily renewal, a daily resolution. As a dad, it's my responsibility to go to God on a regular basis and to ask Him if I'm keeping this commitment well. You know, the Spirit of God will not lie to you. If you come before God in your prayer walk and you say, God, how am I doing as a father? God will put some things on your heart that need change. God will put some things on your heart that need fixed. And I have to tell you, some of those things, most of those things won't be easy. When the Spirit of God throws it out there, hey, this needs, needs fixed. You need to shore this up. You need to check on this. 
that's going to take some courage. It's a fearful thing to be a father in 2015. And there's so many things we don't even understand, right? Our minds are still on Atari. And a, there's a generation that has gone, I, I can't even name all the ones in between, right? There's been 18 new technological advances. And now there's gaming where it's like there's real people in there, right? When I was a kid, we played Pong. Remember Pong? It's like you move this little thing and the ball would bounce off of it on a screen and then it would come back and bounce off of it again. And we thought that was the bomb. We thought it was great. And when I was about 10 years old, they came out with bowling, right? And you would stand back there and you would press a button and then the, your little guy would move and he would roll the ball and you could kind of adjust him. And I think he, I even bowled a 300 game on Intellivision once. Isn't that crazy? Now, kids actually stand there and bowl in your living room on the TV. What? How does that even work? And, and then your kids, who are seven years old, beat you at it. How does that work? Right? And then your kid who's nine years old, he throws a pitch in some kind of Wii Fit thing, and you try to hit it, and you whiff. And you can't even hit what he pitched. The gaming has advanced. The technology has advanced. The entertainment has advanced. Everything has advanced. But you know what? Morality has not changed. God's definitions have not changed. Who God is has not changed. And so this fourth thing I want you to see this morning is a big one. It's a big deal. Resolving to lead toward God's service. Resolving to lead toward God's service. It's my responsibility to find out what God wants me to do next as a father and to do it. You know what the Spirit will do if I'm not living like I should? He'll touch my heart regarding the areas where I need to reestablish guardrails or where I need to restore relationships or where I need to remember that life is a stewardship. I'm going to say something to you that you may or may not like, but those aren't your kids. God gave them to you. Those are gifts from God. Those grandkids are not your grandkids. They are gifts from God. They are a stewardship. Listen, if they were your kids, you would never have to stand before God and answer for how you've trained them. Right? If they were your kids, you could do whatever you want. But they're not. They're God's kids. And He allowed them to be in your home as a stewardship. We all know up front that there are no perfect fathers. Moms know it. Kids know it. Right? I mean, if a two-year-old can figure out that dad's not perfect, dad's, we're in big trouble. And the culture does its best to take out the brush and paint us as bumbling idiots. Right? That's what every modern television show and movie tries to paint the picture that dad is an idiot who has no idea how life works. And yet God's Word paints the picture that the dad is the moral force of the home and he's the one who's got to set the path and he's the one who's got to establish the guardrails. And so we've got this great divide and how it's presented and what the reality of God's Word is. God does not expect us to be perfect fathers. 
But he does expect us to be growing fathers. And he does expect us to be consistent fathers that renew our commitments to serve him regularly. The best thing we have going for us, if you're a believer in Christ, is that the Spirit of God is available 24-7 to empower Christian fathers, to give you wisdom, to give you courage. Maybe you're here today as a dad, you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. The best thing you could do for your kids is to establish a personal daily walk with God. To know who God is through His Word and to know who God is through His Spirit. That's the best thing you could give to your family. And then to try to live consistently. And when you mess up, keep short accounts. Be willing as a dad to say, you know what? I messed up. I didn't do that the right way. Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, if dad puts a track record out there that says he's willing to apologize, he's likely going to raise some kids who have far less pride than their counterparts in our culture. But historically, there are a lot of dads who have never once apologized in their family. They've never once admitted wrongdoing or a wrong decision in their family. And you know what, Dad? That doesn't make you stronger. That makes you weaker. Because God's Word lets us know that, hey, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's, it's okay for you to say, hey, well, I blew that one. I messed up. I shouldn't have got angry at you, son, like that. But you shouldn't have done that. And if you ever throw a baseball in a window again, I'm going to tan your hide. Right? And I said that right here in church. It's, it's right on there. And goodness gracious, do you know God's Word still teaches in corporal punishment? Isn't that amazing? Now the culture says, boy, that's bad and that's evil. And if you do it the wrong way, it is evil and it's wrong. And you should never beat your kids. And you should never hit your kids out of anger. But God says that if you have settled down and you have the right visage on your face and the right attitude toward your children, that you should use corporal punishment when needed in your home. It's, it's in God's Word. And so if you don't like that, you're going to have to take it up with Proverbs in the Bible, not with me. Okay? I didn't come up with that. I can help you know how to do it the right way. I can know, teach you how to do it lovingly where you end with a hug and prayer and you love each other instead of hate each other. But dads, it's our time to step up to the plate. It's our time to lead in this matter of choosing this day who we will serve. Way too many moms having to make this choice. There are way too many moms who pray every day that their husband would be a spiritual leader in the home. Way too many moms who don't know where to turn when it comes to guardrails for their family. And dads, we should commit our lives and renew our spirits today to say, God, if you'll enable me, if you will give me some wisdom, and you'll give me some foresight where I see what's coming down the pike and I'm able to make the right decisions, and then would you give me courage to follow through? Because you'll be tested. As soon as you make right decisions, you'll be tested. In fact, when your kids are younger, 
Sometimes it's easy to make the right decisions. And as your kids, every year they get older, you know what happens to your decision making? It gets tougher. You know what happens to your courageous backbone follow through? It gets tougher. And when your kid gets to be 14, 15, 18, it gets even tougher. And then parents say, well, I don't even know if I should tell my kid what to do anymore because he's already 16 and he has a driver's license. Can I just help you with that? Tell him what to do. If he lives at your house, you give him the guardrails and you tell him how it's supposed to be because if you don't do it, nobody will do it. If you don't step up to the plate, the devil will willingly step up to the plate and take over the leading of your child. The devil will willingly use whatever means he has available to ruin your kid. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And I can tell you with complete certainty that the devil wants your kids. And you need a Joshua-type courage in your life. You need a Joshua-type choice in your life. You need a Joshua-type commitment in your life. That's where we'll leave it here this morning. I would like to invite as we close all the fathers who'd like to be a part of a commitment prayer where I could pray over you and pray for you to go ahead and come to the front here this morning. Any fathers who'd like to be a part of a commitment prayer, would you just come right to the front right now and kneel or sit here in the front? And I'd love to pray over you and over your role as a father. I don't claim to be this great father. I have as many failures as any father here. I struggle every day with the decisions I make as a father. And I know that I have to go to God for me. And you have to go to God for you. We have to say, God, would you help us? Would you enable us? Some of your great-grandfathers or, or grandfathers, we all need a message like this in our hearts. Father, would you work now, today, in each of these fathers. I thank you for each of them. Lord, you know their hearts. And you know the desire that they have to be the man you want them to be. And we know that every person, every father here at this altar desires to be what you've made us to be as dads. We do. God, we want so much to be good fathers. And so I pray that we would be the ones who would regularly talk to our kids about what God is doing and what God has done. I pray that you would help us to regularly Remind our children that life is a stewardship. It's given by God. It's not ours. Our path doesn't belong to us. Help us to be willing to stand up with courage and put away the strange gods out of our homes. Help us not to succumb to the culture just because it's difficult, but to take a stand for the right things in our home with a loving spirit, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. And God, would you help us to choose this day and the next day and the next day and the next day whom we'll serve. I pray that as for us in our houses that we would serve the Lord, that we would testify of your faith, that we would raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I pray for every grandfather, every great-grandfather who is doing their best to influence another generation, that you would give them grace that you'd give them wisdom in how to deal with each situation.
God, you're so good to us. Thank you for giving us the gift of children. I pray that you would help us to see them as a heritage of the Lord and train them on the way they should go. Guide us now through this day. Bless us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, God, for bringing us together today. I'm going to let the fathers head back.